I make the recommendation in my book. Like, if you don't have a dog, offer to walk your neighbor's dog. Like, your neighbor will like that, and you'll still, you know, you'll still have this opportunity. So they can be small connections. It can be having a conversation with the person who you get, you know, makes your coffee or someone at the grocery store. Um, All of those human connections are really important. And going back to our overuse of phones, if you have your nose buried in your phone all the time, Mm -hmm. you miss Mm -hmm. the opportunity to have even those small connections. And that is, you know, that's a message I've really, for years, have been really trying um, to get out. So it's that the phones are bad for us in so many ways. This is just another example. Welcome back to the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. In this week's episode, join Michael Kahn for an enlightening and hopeful interview with Shalini George, a professor of legal writing at Suffolk University Law School. The thing that we haven't talked about is that I'm, I'm actually teaching a pilot course at Suffolk this semester, actually this year, uh, called Preparing for Professional Success. And that oh. is really very specifically meant to be a well-being course. Hmm. And um, I've, I've had a, the, the joy, really, of working with some students. Um, we've used my book, and we've used a lot of other resources from pro- positive psychology and elsewhere. Wow. To have, yeah, the opportunity to talk about these things in an academic environment. And is this something you've already uh, done, or this is something you're, you're preparing to do? Doing. 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 It's this, yeah. yeah it's, That's it's, great. It's this academic year. So we started last fall. Um, it's a, it's just a pilot. So in fact, tomorrow I will be reporting to my faculty, um, Mm -hmm. about the results and asking for the pilot to be expanded and continued next year. Um, so it's a big step and there are, um, I'd say 15 or 20 schools around the country that have some sort of class along these lines. I think a lot of schools are trying to figure out how do you get these topics. I would love to see that, um, if you're, I don't know if you're allowed to. But I would love to see the syllabus for sure. that that yeah, program. Sure. I'd be really sure. curious too, because all the stuff we're talking about here can lawyers can use. Yes. Folks who are out there practicing. This is all not limited to law school by any means. Right. So I'd love to see what you're you're teaching them. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting um, experience, and like I said, mm-hmm. so we used my book, so you have an idea. First semester, it was mm-hmm. mostly um, okay. the chapters. Okay, that was your book. book. Was the textbook? Yeah, we, Suffolk mm-hmm. um, very generously uh, donated uh, or gave the students who volunteered to take this class um, a copy mm-hmm. of my book. That was part of their incentive. Um, they don't they're not paying tuition for it, and they volunteered to take this extra credit class. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, we we used my textbook, and then this semester we've been a little bit more focused on. Um, so we, we had the first class of the semester was about processing bad news, um, or you know because they had gotten their grades, and we talked about you know what have we learned first semester, and how do we translate that you know taking these grades into. Um, approaching certain things differently second semester. I had a class on networking. I had my students practice so, networking. Go back to that just for a second, the processing sure. bad news. That's yes. intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. So you you talk to them about how to process bad news, Great. how to yeah. cope with it, how yes. to yes. Um, respond we, to it, how yes. to work through it, all that stuff. Yes. Yep. Wow. Yep. How to take positive. That is not, that is not what most of us in law school, at least in my 
none of us, none of us, Michael, <laughs> had this kind of stuff in law school. Um, mm. It's really been, it's been really interesting. Like I knew that this mm-hmm. was something that I wanted to talk to them about. I mm-hmm. learned so much this year from them because the the primary work that they do for the class is journal writing. So I had had a sense because I teach first year students and I teach a required first year course. I certainly had a sense that particular times of the year stressed them out more than others, um, that they were worried about getting, you know, a grade on their first legal writing memo. Like I knew these things intrinsically, but I would, in this new course that I was teaching this year, I was actually reading, they weren't my legal writing students. We made sure that I didn't have my own students in my class, but other, you know, they're in other legal writing courses. I'm reading them, their journal entries when they're getting these grades and they're thinking, oh, oh my wow. gosh, um, you know, they're writing things like, oh my gosh, I, I don't know, I'll never get a good grade. Um, I don't know if I can yeah. make it. I don't know if I can do this. I can't mm-hmm. believe I got a, you know, whatever. And so I had the opportunity to just kind of help them process through it. Um, I don't know if you read, if you got to the part in my book where I reveal that I got a very bad grade my first year in law school. In tort, was it torts class? Torts, yeah. Yeah, yes, I did, I did. That was, I think, the resilience chapter, I think. Yeah. So, you know, I got a C in torts. You can share that. Yeah. Yeah. Share that with the folks. I mean, I I put it in the book, so obviously I'm willing to share it. Um, (laughs) I will tell you the, the story that somebody who read was reading for me as I was writing said, are you sure you want to say that? I mean, do you want to just say you got a bad grade? And I said, I'm going to say it. Cause if I say I got a bad grade, people will think I mean, I got to be. And sure. I think it's important for everybody to recognize that we can, we can get past these setbacks. So, um, you know, they, students had read, right. That I got a C in torts. And so it's not me, some professor who's never had to struggle with, with anything standing up, you know, at the front of the room and Mm -hmm. saying, you know, you'll be fine. I could actually say, yeah, this was really tough. I questioned my decision to go to law school. I questioned whether I was smart enough or what was I doing wrong, but here's how I learned from it. You know, I learned I had a real issue with multiple choice questions and I knew I had to fix it because I was going to have to take a bar exam and, you know, here are the steps I took. So I, that's great. That, by the way, you, all of your teaching sounds fantastic, and that that lesson is is as important as everything else you've talked about. Just modeling vulnerability to to students and yeah. modeling and and modeling um, imperfection, because that is that can be such a a, right. a big issue for lawyers. Right. That whole idea about perfectionism, and I know in right. the book you talk about the growth versus uh, fixed mindsets, which mm-hmm. is, which is relevant to all this too. The idea of yeah. that a lot of, a lot of people, but lawyers in particular have this mindset that they're, they're a fixed product. Right. They're all done. There's no more work to be done on them. Right. It's all right. you know, versus growth, which is, yeah, I'm going to make mistakes and learn from them. And that, that right. can be a real right. important shift in mindset, right? Yeah. Not to go yeah. off the topic, but I think it's no, all related absolutely. to what you're talking about. Absolutely. Um, there's that, um, this idea that, that they sometimes think everybody else gets it better than they do mm-hmm. or gets it easier than they do. So those are things that we talk about in this new class. And I think they appreciate hearing 
um, from the other students, like, no, I really struggled with that too. Um, you know, they, they tell me that they're able to be vulnerable in that class in a way that they just can't obviously anywhere else in law school. So Mm -hmm. I, I do think that's, um, is a valuable thing. And they think that, you know, oh, everybody else is so smart, you know, that's that fixed mindset. And it's, it's good to be able to, to talk to them about various, I mean, I've had, I've had struggles I've had lots of struggles and I don't mind talking about them. They've made me, you know, they've gotten me to where I am. Maybe, maybe I would, my life would have taken a different turn if I had handled something differently. So I think there's no right or wrong, but we have to recognize that there's something that we can take and learn from um, all of those setbacks. So I'm Mm -hmm. learning from these students too. I mean, that's the really fun part. Yeah, yeah, for sure. As a therapist, I'm always learning from my clients. That's mm-hmm. not the goal, of course. Yeah. <laughs> the goal is for me to help them. <laughs> but right. but you just can't help but learn from from yes. folks and there's just hearing their stories. Yes. And 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 how they have their resilience. Um, yes. Certainly is something I can uh, gain from as well. It sounds like you you do too. I do. Um there there are some things in the book I want to go to also we've already spoken about some of these things but i really uh you you talk about how important it is and this is in the resilience chapter too to build and cultivate social connections right and that's something i also particularly covid has made it worse mm-hmm. uh that folks are more isolated right and lawyers can tend to be isolated Back right. to what we just said, they, right. they're not being vulnerable or um, feeling like they're the only ones, so they can't share that they've made a mistake. Right. Um, or with younger lawyers, they can definitely um, believe that it's not in their best interest to share right. mistakes or, or vulnerability. Right? Do you do you speaking of that younger associates? Do you talk to? Um, do you have contact with students who have graduated and yes. who are practicing? And yeah. I'd be curious to hear um, about that. Yeah, I do. Um, I have some some wonderful students um, who keep in touch with me after they graduate. Mostly what I hear from them is about their legal writing. <laughs> they like to tell me <laughs> how, how well, how you know, all, yeah, all the compliments. Well, they've been prepared. Yeah, they like to they like to relay all the compliments they get um, on their writing. Right. But um, yeah, I do hear from students that it can be a, a, a sort of a rude awakening at various times when um, they realize that they they they're not going to go to their boss and say, "Gosh, I'm I'm feeling kind of down today," or mm-hmm. "I'm not really mm-hmm. um, I'm not loving what I what I have." The kinds of conversations, unfortunately, that I have more than anything else are students who come back to me and say, "I'm not loving what I'm doing, and I'm trying to figure out what else I might like to do." And mm-hmm. the fact that I have those conversations is part of what inspires me, I think, to be involved in this work. And it kind of goes back to, I think, something I said at the very beginning, which is nobody is coming to law school feeling like, I, gee, I hope I burn out in a few years. You know, I really hope, right. you know, that, that that I have a serious mental health issue. But that's what right. that's what I end up seeing. And that's part of what motivates me, I think, has motivated me to become so involved in this kind of work, because I do see that 
so you asked about social connections. I think yeah. the connection even between a student and a professor that goes mm-hmm. beyond the the law or um, you know the specifics of a class, even that connection is something that can help students through some of these tougher times. So absolutely, I, um, I actually stayed connected with. Uh, actually, coincidentally, my uh, legal writing professor from law school. <laughs> See, and he also taught property. He ended up; uh, he was an associate dean of the law school, and we became good friends. Uh, and he became good friends with some of us. We actually in, would go on um, enter softball tournaments for mm-hmm. uh, law schools, and then for alumni mm-hmm. law school uh, softball tournaments. But uh, he was he was a great a great um, resource for me uh, well, up until sadly he passed away a well, couple of years ago. Well, I, and that I'm sorry to hear. Um, yeah. That's one of the great things about legal writing is that that's one of the course, one of the courses that's smaller. And so we do get to mm-hmm. know our students. I think that's one of the issues. I think you, you, you said earlier about how the first year is a particularly tough time. You know, I just had yeah. one of my students in my office um, a week before last who was emotional. Um, I think her, it surprised her that as she was talking, she became emotional. And I found that mostly what I was saying to her is you just have to get past this year. I promise it will be different if you get past this year. Mm-hmm. Why do we have to say things like that? You know, right. why, why can't we think about changing that first year experience um, mm-hmm. just a little bit? So the, mm-hmm. uh, the connections are really important. Um, even if it's walking your dog. I mean, I use dog walking in a lot mm-hmm. of my examples because I walk my dog a lot and yep. I love seeing people and neighbors and, you and know. Dogs, and and um, you're preaching the choir here. I love dogs. Um, <laughs> and dogs also, um, they, they help you connect with people too. They do. People they see do. your dog and then want yep. to ask you questions. What kind of dogs? Yep. Can I pet your dog? Super um, easy brings- ways to make friends. Yeah. Yes. And you see people, I loved my dog. Um, don't mean this to be a, don't mean this to be a, a podcast about loss, but um, our dog uh, passed during COVID. Uh, so that's something I'm really missing mm-hmm. because one of the things I'm noticing is of course missing her, but, but missing, missing the connection I make with people yeah. through her. Yeah. 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 I make the recommendation in my book, like if you don't have a dog, offer to walk your neighbor's mm-hmm. dog. Like your neighbor will mm-hmm. like that and you'll still, mm-hmm. you know, you'll still have this opportunity. So they can be right. small connections. It can be having a conversation with the person who you get, you know, makes your coffee or someone at the grocery store. Um, right. All of those human connections are really important. And going back to our overuse of phones, if you have your nose buried in your phone all the time, mm-hmm. you miss mm-hmm. the opportunity to have even those small connections. That's and right. that is, you know, that's a message I've really, for years, have been really trying um, to get out. So it's that the phones are bad for us in so many ways. This is just yeah. another example. Um, Agreed. Yeah. So... Go ahead. Were you going to say something else? The only thing I was going to say is that when I, yeah. I didn't say this earlier when you asked me how mm-hmm. I got into teaching or about my career path, but oh, yeah. um, when I okay. decided I wanted to teach, I reached out to my legal writing professor. <laughs> she's oh, the that's one. Funny. Yeah, she's the one who uh, I took her out to lunch and she gave me a few very good pieces of advice and kind of pushed me in the right direction. So I mm-hmm. think the, those, those connections, as we said, they, they stay with us. 
So you have some other things, and we've got a few minutes left, and I definitely want to give you time at the end to share anything I haven't asked you about. I'm really intrigued with that course. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so so uh, I'd love to stay connected with you after the um, after this, after this podcast, to, to learn more about that course you're teaching, because that's sure. fascinating. Sure. Uh, but there are some things in the book I just wanted to, that I think are important that I wanted to put out there and see if you want to speak any more to them. Sure. Uh, one was uh, self-compassion. Uh-huh. You mentioned that in your book. And um, would you like to expand on, on that topic? Sure, sure. I think we're all so hard on ourselves. Um, and the the practice of law requires, I think, so much emotional work sometimes that if we don't take care of ourselves, I, I think it's very hard to, to be there for, your, for clients. And I think that's another thing that lead, can lead to burnout so easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I give the example in the book of, of one of my children who's very hard on himself. Um, so it's, it, you have, we have to change the way we talk to ourselves. And I just think that's, that's something that takes a lot of practice. Um, I it think the, the, the personality of people who, who come to law school, we taught, we touched on this a little bit in the, um, the fixed mindset, but there's also, and we met, we talked about perfectionism. There's, there's this drive I think that people have they come to law school they've been successful before and they need to be successful in law school and it's very hard to recognize that maybe if you've always been an A student before and you're not quite an A student now that that doesn't mean you're not smart or that you're not going to make it in the law but we're very quick to take small setbacks and make them really big in our head and we're very reluctant to take small victories and make them bigger mm-hmm. in our head. So I just right. try, re- you know, to, to have those kinds of conversations um, with my students in this new course in particular, but even in my legal writing course, to try to to, to, to just try to m- emphasize that point that don't don't float past the good news to focus only on the bad news. I yeah. think it's human nature, and you probably know this more than I do, um, that as humans, I think we tend to do that. So it's something that we have to actively work on and fight and against. And lawyers even more, the law students are yeah. trained to do this and yeah. lawyers even more so to right. uh, issue spot, right? And right. to look for... Uh, the adversarial system and right. you know, all of that is, um, there's winners and there's losers and the Socratic right. method. I mean, you know, there's, there's mm-hmm. a, certainly a laundry list of things about people who go to law school and about the law school environment that I think brings, uh, brings that out even more and thus the need for self-compassion even more. You also mentioned in your book, the importance of having a um, sense of meaning mm-hmm. for, um, in your life. And I guess in terms of what you do work-wise, mm-hmm. uh, did you want to, uh, expand on that a little bit? Sure. Sure. So this is, um, a topic that actually we have spent a significant amount of time talking about in my new class. And I think it's really important, again, in the first year of law school. So we have sometimes these grand ideas and goals uh, about why we want to go into law. You know, you have this image of yourself maybe as a prosecutor or a public defender or working for legal aid or whatever your dream job is. And then you hit the first year of law school and you forget that that was your dream because 
it's contracts, property, torts, you know, con law, right. um, the curve, the Socratic right. method, like all of those things that we've talked about. And so um, one of the things that we try and do in this new class is take students back to those original goals. Like wh- what was the idea of what you wanted? What is it you dreamt of doing? And how can we connect you back to that original um, place and meaning? So that's one one thing. The other thing is just we talk generally. There's a great TED Talk that um, somebody um, clued me into and which I had my students watch this year about happiness and how chasing happiness is never going to make you happy. So mm. we kind of have, have have been able to have this talk. It's so helpful to me too that if you always think that there's this one thing that's going to make you happy, if I get an A in contracts, then I'm going to be happy. If I get this right. internship, I'm going to be happy. And it never makes you happy because you move on to the next thing. So thinking beyond, you know, what those small goals or ideas are and trying to link our our um, efforts and our time in law school back to that bigger meaning that we thought about, you know, that got mm-hmm. us to law school or that, that uh, motivated an interest in the law, that can help. And that can really help in processing bad news and things too, because you can, you can, put it in the box it needs to be in so that you can keep moving forward with learning about the law and getting towards that place that you originally dreamt of um, in, in thinking about a, a career in law. And that brings us back to mindfulness too. Yes. As far as happiness is concerned, rather than being attached to uh, a, a thing or an event to to be mindful day to uh, moment to moment of the things that uh, impact you in a good way or or make you happy or content in some way. Right. Absolutely. Um, One of the things, so I I did a mindfulness course myself last summer when I had some time. And one of the things that really has stayed with me whenever I do something like that is kind of, is the uh, loving kindness meditation Mm -hmm. where, you know, you think of someone or something that, that makes you feel unkind or that has given you um, trouble and you, you kind you turn that conversation around you try to understand where, where that person or thing is coming from and you meet it with love or kindness. And it sounds, it sounds trite and yet it can be incredibly powerful. Um, And it just helps, it helps one recognize uh, just how powerful our own minds and bodies are and how much we can turn that conversation around. And you mentioned in your, uh, in your resources section, I, w- uh, I want to mention him too. Uh, sadly, he, he um, passed a few weeks ago, Thich Nhat Hanh. Yes. Uh, you have a couple of his books in your I bibliography, do. in your book, The Miracle of Mindfulness. And yes. you are here. Yes. And I would highly recommend, he's written, I can't even tell you how many books he's written. So those, those are two of them. And yeah. uh, he's written so many more. Some are specifically on a topic like anger. Yes. Um, but I just wanted to uh, acknowledge that you have referred to him in your book and that he's yeah. somebody I wanted to uh, mention here as well. He's a very relatable and yet so, yeah. so incredibly wise. So I, I, yeah. I find, you know, he's, he's, he's easy to read and easy to connect with. Mm-hmm. So um, you've already mentioned some of the things that you do, mm-hmm. but are there any other things that you would say you do that, that help you 
manage your stress um, or help you focus on those areas, those dimensions that we mentioned earlier in the uh, Wellbeing Task Force graphic. What are some of the, what are some other things that are helpful for you? So um, that's an actually an easy question for me, Michael. Um, my <laughs> number one stress um, relieving activity is exercise. Mm-hmm. I am just a huge proponent of exercise in whatever fashion one enjoys exercising. Um, I have been working with my students on this too, or they they keep a physical activity log, and we talk about the very many ways in which movement is helpful. So, um, you know, going back to those dimensions of well-being, I I try to focus um, a lot of my conversations when I do workshops or guest lecture or talk to groups on intellectual well-being and physical well-being, because it's easy to convince law students or lawyers that they should care about their intellectual well-being. That is their ability to perform their work as lawyers. It's very easy for me, you know, to get an audience to want to listen (laughs) to ways in which we can um, improve that. It's improved in part by physical exercise. And so it's like this win-win situation, right, where you're taking care of your body by exercising, but you're also taking care of your mind. And the connection between mind and body is so strong and so powerful you know, yeah. we think with our bodies too. And so by connecting those two topics um, really explicitly and um, helping people see why devoting an hour a day or 45 minutes a day, even when you're super busy or you just feel like you don't have time, you know, it sometimes is the first thing people will give up, but it's counterproductive. Um, it's counterproductive to mental productivity. It's counterproductive to our physical health. It's counterproductive to mental health. So I I say in the book, and I very much believe this, that exercise is something, one of the few things in life where it may feel like a chore when you start, but once you devote yourself to it, it it is this amazing joy, and it is something that pays you back, you know, exponentially in in terms of brain, body, physical, mental health, um, And including movement throughout your day, too. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you on the exercise. I went jogging this morning. Excellent. but doing some kind of movement throughout your day, and it can be just getting out of your chair, yes, and and stretching, yep, or or walking from your office to the restroom, right, or taking the stairs, or going outside, yeah, or taking the stairs, taking the stairs, absolutely. I mean, all In of fact, that. Um, one thing that you you might uh, appreciate, my my partner. Um, is a she's a PhD student here, and she teaches as well. Mm-hmm. And she is, always incorporates movement in her class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the class is it's in the school of education, so movement isn't necessarily part of the syllabus. Yes, um, but but she always incorporates some kind of movement exercise in the class, and also mindfulness. Well, can you can you picture this, Michael, in my legal writing class and in my new class, the preparing for professional success? Uh, I, on the day that I was going to have them do the deep focused work before that, I actually had them stand up and I put some music on and I appointed Mm -hmm. a leader and somebody just marched the whole class around the room for a few minutes (laughs) before we sat down to work. And yeah, sometimes they look at me like she is really Mm -hmm. crazy, but (laughs) they can feel the effects um, they can feel the effects of it. So, um, that really is my, my number one for me. Um, stress reliever because I know it's doing so many good things for me. And um, 
you know, I, I've, I have had my many ups and downs myself as I was writing this book. I, uh, just a lot of personal, uh, a lot of personal setbacks and exercising, going to the gym, seeing my friends at the gym, going for a run, breathing fresh air, going for a walk, walking my dog, all of that, I firmly believe is what helped me get through um, some of the really tough times um, that I had. And, and, and being outside, being in nature, there's research that shows that being around, away from cars, yes. away from yes. loud roads, being, being in nature, you don't have to be the top of Mount Everest, you, you know, just be, put yourself in an area, walk where there's trees and greenery. Right. Um, that can, in one, one research study, uh, indicated that it reduced that part of the brain that ruminates. Yes. So it reduces rumination and, yes. and anxiety. Have you read about um, this thing called attention restoration theory, art? It's called. Um, I don't know. Tell me about it. I, I've read about that issue, but I've never heard of that acronym. Yeah, it's called it's called capital A R T, attention restoration theory, mm -hmm. and the idea okay. is that you know we have a, a limited amount of focus really available to us in a day, so mm. four hours maybe of deep focus. But one of the ways that you can replenish your attention is by going out in nature, not just any nature, though. So there was a study that was done, um, and they took um, some students, two groups of students, and they were going to have them do some memory and concentration tasks. But they sent one group of students to walk through, It was this was in Ann Arbor, Michigan, to walk through nature, basically, for 20 minutes. They sent the other group of students to walk through it, the city um, for 20 minutes. And the group that walked through nature performed better on the memory and concentration tasks after their walk than the group that walked mm -hmm. through the city. So it wasn't just being outside. It was um, being able to be free from thought and focus. So the group that was walking through the city still had to kind of navigate crosswalks and traffic mm -hmm. and people and things that caught their attention. Whereas being right. out in nature where you genuinely are just breathing in the air, admiring the flowers, listening to the birds, that is going to replenish your attention resources in a way that allows you to produce uh, or to be more productive when you go back into work. Um, That's great. Yeah, and then they, they, they did it again because they thought maybe it was just a really nice day or something. They actually sent one group <laughs> out like in the dead of winter, um, and they still performed better. So it wasn't weather-related or anything like that. It's right. just the the ability to, to let your mind rest um, that, that will give Makes you better sense. focus. Yeah. Attention re restoration theory? Attention restoration theory, yep. Okay. Well, uh, we're... I want to give you a moment where we're um, at the end of uh, a very quick interview, at least my experience was, was quick. Um, what is there any last thing you want to say before we wrap our discussion today? Um, you know, we've, we've really covered pretty much everything, Michael. The last thing I mm -hmm. will just say is that, you know, the American Bar Association has recently passed some new um, standards for law schools, which, which are encouraging law schools, not encouraging, they're actually going to be requiring law schools to think about something called professional identity formation. And mm. under that, they include um, instruction on well-being practices. So 
Um, I'm really hopeful that courses like mine and other courses um, that I know people are working on will be will become more commonplace. And so I appreciate the opportunity to spread the word a little bit. And if anybody would like to contact me uh, for more information um, or to kind of put our heads and together. Give your, um, give your contact info if you'd like. Sure, sure. My email is the best way um, to get in touch with me. It's sgeorge mm-hmm. at suffolk.edu. Um, and Suffolk I'm also is on spelled S-U-F-F-O-L-K. S-U-F-F-O-L-K, that's correct. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, and I've connected with some people on LinkedIn who I've been sharing information with. But um, between the different organizations that we talked about my involvement in and what I'm doing at Suffolk, um, you know, I'm I'm really working hard to collect and disseminate as much of this as we can um, because I think law students and lawyers really need it. And we'll give – I'll – offline, I'll get all of that contact information, email – social media, Great. and we'll put that in the, um, in the description of the program as well. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. And thank you, uh, listeners, for, for uh, coming back and, and listening to The Thriving Lawyers. Hopefully, uh, you'll be back again soon. Thank Bye-bye. you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Thriving Lawyers Podcast. We love hearing from our loyal listeners, so please feel free to email us any questions, comments, suggested topics, or guest recommendations at the following address, feedback at thrivinglawyerspodcast.com. The Thriving Lawyers Podcast is brought to you by Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences, a national provider of continuing legal education and professional development programs that leave participants engaged, encouraged, and equipped to pursue meaningful and sustainable change in their practices, their lives, and the organizations they work in. And by Osborne Conflict Resolution, your experienced guides through the uncharted terrain of business and family law disputes based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Thriving Lawyers Podcast.